And we want to hear what you have to say to us. Because all of your words are pure. All of your words are lovely. All of your words are full of life and full of power. So we thank you, Jesus, for the life and the power that's in your word. Energize your word, Father, in the hearts of the people that they would hear and they would know and they would understand what you want to say to them this day. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, so today we're going to talk about Job's healing. And, uh, yeah, Job is a pretty long book. Most people, when they hear the word Job, they get all depressed and want to skip over that whole 40 chapters. Uh, But there is something that we can learn out of that. The Bible says that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable to us. And so we, we are righteous people, and so we need to have a history of the righteous acts of God in the earth, and that's the Bible. And so when we go into the Word at any time, any place where we go into the Word of God, there is something beneficial for us in that. And so I've tried as best I can extract what I want to say out of the book of Job. There's so much here. But, uh, I'm, and I'm going to go through some things that I feel Job went through that most believers or all believers will have to face at some time in your life. You'll have to face some of the things that he did. Maybe not to the degree that he does, but, you know, football's like a game of inches. <laughs> I mean, you know, another inch of pain, another inch of whatever. You know, it's, it's, it's relative to who's experiencing it. And so what we want to do, though, is understand what God wants to show us through the book of Job. And I think if there's anything that that I feel I came away with is that the whole issue of whether or not you receive anything from God hinges on the issue of righteousness. If you cannot get secure in righteousness, it will hinder everything that you want to receive from the Lord. When Job was afflicted, the enemy attacked him on the foundation of righteousness. Now, we all know that righteousness does not mean we do everything right. But see, the thing of it is, when we come to Christ, the enemy can so condemn us and can so keep us in mental bondage that we'll feel that that's the requirement to to qualify us for anything from God. And I, I bet you I'm telling the truth, because if you think to yourself anybody had to wait for anything from god Uh uh-huh there's anybody and what was the first thing that you came to your mind when you noticed that you didn't have it already wonder what i did to keep it from huh see and so we'll see in the book of job how job had to fight that thought off all of his conversation with his friends was an attempt to fight off the attack on his righteousness and this is going to be your your fight as a christian is to fight off every attack against your righteousness because your righteousness ain't of you so you can easily defend it because it's not your righteousness huh the bible says righteousness has been imputed to us you know what impute means? God just laid it on you. Huh? 
righteousness has been laid on you. When he laid stripes on Jesus, he was actually laying righteousness on you. The righteousness that Jesus walked in came off of him at Calvary. Do you realize that? And stripes were laid on him and righteousness was laid on you and me. So what he took off at the cross, we put on. And when he bore stripes to take care of what? Our iniquities and our sins. And the fact that he stripped righteousness from him, it was imputed to us. And he stood there and took the beating that we should get. And we got away scot-free. A bunch of crazy perps. Huh? We then perpetrated every mean, evil, despicable act that you can think of. And God took his righteousness off of him and whipped him. And in the whipping, the righteousness was imputed to us. So we're allowed to wear it. Anytime we need to, we can wear Jesus' righteousness. And that's why it's so easy to put it on and stand in it, even in the face of accusation from the enemy. Because it ain't yours. And you don't have to just be good to get it. Huh? Now, it's nice if you are, but hello, earth suit that wants everything when it wants everything. Hmm? So that's why the Bible tells us if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. You've always got somebody to speak up for you and go to bat for you. So why should we try to be perfect in everything all the time? I mean, that's a lot of sweat for no good reason. When you find yourself separated from God and separated from what he wants you to do and in disobedience, then you repent. You say, Father, forgive me. I thank you. I see that. I'm going to get back in my righteousness now so that I can go on with you and I can receive everything. You're more good to him righteous than you are guilty for your sin. That's why he gives it so freely. Huh? If sin were an issue to God, he never would have sent Jesus to the cross. We'd still be dealing with it. Trying to figure out some kind of way to get out from under it. But the fact that he sent him to the cross says that, that sin is not as big an issue to him as your righteousness is. Righteousness will talk about sin taken care of. All you got to do is do what you need to do to get back in the flow of righteousness again. And you qualify for everything that God has prepared and set aside for you. So this is a whole issue with Job. Will he bear up under the assault on his soul and maintain his righteousness? Or will he let the enemy talk him out of standing where God has positioned him? And then he'll stay sicker longer. You know that once you feel that you're not worthy, you'll accept anything. Hmm? And you don't feel good about yourself. You let the devil whoop up on you. Yeah, devil. I did that devil. Then you go confessing to him instead of confessing to God. Isn't that terrible? But see, we can get there if we allow ourselves to do it. And so time after time after time, the enemy sent messages to Job through friends of his to see if he would come down off of his righteousness. When Jacob, uh, when he finally straightened, you know how Jacob was. 
um, I'm sorry, yeah, Jacob, Esau's brother. He stole the birthright from his brother, played all kind of mean tricks on him, tricked his father. Father was old and halfway blind, and he took little pieces of hair and stuck them on his body and got them, him and the mom in cahoots and got the father to give him the birthright and the blessing. And so he was always, he was accustomed to stealing everything. So much so that when he got out on his own, he got under a man called Laban, who was his father-in-law, and he told him he would work seven years for his daughter's hand in marriage. Well, of course, what you sow, you reap. So Laban tricked him into working longer and then sent the ugly daughter, y'all know sent her in there. Y'all read the same Bible I read? Huh? Okay. Huh? Well, yeah. He was working for Beyonce. Huh? And the daddy sent Shanae in there. I know you did. Uh, y'all know who I'm talking about? And so he found he had to work seven more years for Beyonce. Huh? <laughs> so <laughs> he had to work. He got the same, the same tricks he played on his brother were played on him to the degree that he finally got tired of it. And remember, he wrestled with God, tried to jump God, pistol whip God all night, and make God bless him. And God saying, like, hey, listen, you don't have to wrestle with me. I want to bless you, buddy. And so God had to knock his hip out of joint just to slow him down and get him to obey. But see, after all of that, Jacob, when he was really sorely tested by Laban, what did he say? He says, my righteousness will speak for me. Now, if somebody who had lived that kind of a life of a thief and being dishonest all their life can stand up and say, my righteousness will speak for me, well, surely we can say that. If Jesus has shed his blood for us and imputed righteousness to us, certainly we can say, my righteousness will speak for me. And we'll hold on to righteousness and not let it slip and not let the enemy talk us into feeling that what we're receiving from him is deserved because of what we've done. Jesus died especially for us. If you've done something to deserve being sick, then he's died especially for you. And so you can stand right up and say, my righteousness will speak for me. I'm depending upon what Jesus did for me at Calvary and nothing less than that will do. And your righteousness will prove out because you'll receive what it is that you need from God. And so we're going to look at some some scriptures here in the book of Job. I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible simply because it was a little bit clearer to me. And I think I want to be clear because there was so much text to read. I'm not going to read it all, though. But I want to read you some, some high points. In chapter 1, it starts out talking about the sons of God. Going before the throne of God. Oops, sorry. It talks about Job and what he possessed. He had about ten children. He was a rich man. And he was a great man. Now there are some indications that Job was a priest or a minister. There are several references that would lead me to think that, and I'll share those with you. Why not share those now? In Job 4, verse 3, let me stand back here and do this. I'm a little wound up. I've been dancing. (laughs) In 4, verses 3 through 5, 
when Eliphaz tells him, Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Hmm? Your words have held firm him who was falling. Now that's what ministers do. Hmm? They encourage, exhort, lift people up, and build them up. That's what you do as believers. So you have that ministry of reconciliation. So it seems that Job had some of that. He said, your words have held firm him who was falling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. So that's one scripture. In 622, here's another passage. He says, did I ever say, bring me a gift or pay a bribe on my account from your wealth? So it seems that Job was able to receive gifts and offerings from people. So that would make him a priest. That's further evidence. And there's another reference in Job 29. In verse 21, he said, men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. After I spoke, they did not speak again, and my speech dropped upon them like a refreshing shower. So it looks like he spoke as a servant of God or as the oracles of God. And that's real important to keep in mind as you go through the things that Job endured because you'll get an understanding of why he was put through the kind of trial that he was put through. He was put through this trial because the enemy began to persecute him because he was a righteous man. And this is all there was to that. Now we know that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Not sure exactly how old it is. But it predates the covenant that Moses got at Sinai. And that's important because you need to understand that Job did have a covenant with God, but we're not sure what kind it was. But we do know that it was a covenant of life because that's the only kind of covenant God makes with anybody. And when the enemy was allowed to test Job, God stopped him short of taking his life. Hello? So he had a covenant that ensured that he would not die at the enemy's hand. That's consistent with what God offers everybody. And Job 1, verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons, the angels of God, came to present themselves before the Lord. Anybody remember what the sons of God were from the, from, yeah, what's the book we're in? Uh, the Battle of the Ages. Who were the sons of God? The Melchizedek priesthood. So this is a, an example of where they're going before the throne of God. And it's not certain that Job was one of them. But if that is the Melchizedek priesthood and we believe that Job was a priest, he probably got his authority from them. He just received what they preached and was a righteous man. And God raised him up as a priest or a minister in his own stead. So there was a functioning priesthood on the earth. And he says here, Satan, the adversary or accuser, also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where are you coming? Then Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. 
And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job? Now this makes a lot of people uncomfortable, kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. It's like, God, he wasn't thinking about me before you mentioned my name. Hello? But how many of you know that God is righteous in all of his ways? So check this out. Satan was thinking about Job. God just read his mail. Huh? Why? Because the enemy goes to and fro upon the earth seeking whom he may devour by accusation. Right now, if you get up and do something good for God, the devil will start a bad story about you. This period. You can bank on it. Why do you think you can, you can give somebody something precious, somebody you work with a nice gift or try to bless some, pray for them or something like that, and then all of a sudden they turn on you? It's because the enemy is accusing you to them. And sometimes people will repeat the accusation. huh? Just let them catch you doing something that they think is unholy. It doesn't have to be unholy. That what kind of Christian are you? I thought you was if that's what they do. And so this is what the enemy does day and night. He accuses the people of God. And sometimes we have to be tried in that accusation. Because God is standing there telling him that you're not what he says you are. You're not what the devil says you are. You're a child of God. You're righteous. You're holy. No, they won't, they won't turn their backs on me. This one's faithful. Huh? You can take the house, the car, the credit cards, and strip them down if you dare, devil. And they'll still serve me. They'll still praise me. And they'll still worship me. And so this is the test that it always is with believers. Will you leave God and serve mammon? Or will you forget about what mammon is all about and go serve the living God? It's always a test. Because the enemy knows that if he can get your eyes off God and get them on your stuff, then he's got you. And so this is what Job was going through. And the first test that he went through, Job lost all his children. And their homes, everything that he had materially was gone. And so God told, you know, the, the enemy said, does he fear you for nothing? This is why sometimes people run out of money. It's not because you don't ask God at every twist and turn how much to spend. God won't put that requirement on us because he knows we ain't going to do it. Huh? You ever done something down the line that you were you were sure you did it the right way and it still messed up on you? Huh? Oh yeah. And so there are, are tests and trials. Sometimes it doesn't work right the first time you do it, and God wants to see if you will have confidence in Him and do it again. And so we have to remember that it this isn't like a pull a lever and it comes to you. It's just not like that. It's more like you're tested every step of the way to see if you're going to stay faithful to God. Right now in Cleveland, we're, we're up against a test now. Well, we, we have our permit. The 
told us we don't have to spend another $5,000 just to get an occupancy permit for that building. But the landlord has let us know that he wants to sell the building. So we're always being tested. Do you understand what? We're always. You're never that cool with God that he won't let you go through like he let them other people go through. Because, see, the first thing we say when somebody going through, you must have done something wrong. Huh? That's the truth. We look at them, try to see if they get sin on them. Like you could see it. Huh? That's the truth. Huh? That's what Job's friends did to him. Come sitting up there in his face and trying to act like they was all for him. Huh? He called them a pitiful bit bunch of comforters. He said, y'all pitiful. He did. Huh? Because they brought him no comfort. Because they wasn't sent by God. And what they were saying was not of God. Huh? It just really wasn't. So Job constantly had to answer them back to keep his righteousness. He constantly had to deliver back a righteous answer. So we're going to talk about some of the things that Job went through. The first time Job refused to curse God, even though his wife encouraged him to. You'll be tested on everything. You think your husband won't turn on you, your wife won't turn on you, keep living for God. Huh? Keep living for God. Huh? The devil will get in anybody he can. Hmm? And it doesn't take much for most people. In Job chapter 1 verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon the man himself put not forth your hand. Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And it says here he lost all of the things that he had lost. In verse 22 it says, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. In all this, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God foolishly. So Job maintained his righteousness. You know how he maintained his righteousness in verse 21. Now this scripture messes up a lot of people's minds. Faith people just, you know, they want to rip this out the Bible. Hmm? Because they consider making a statement like this sin or it's not faith. Well, how many statements have they made not in faith? Huh? See, this is just a story of somebody like you and me who's dealing with affliction and hurt and pain and not understanding it and not knowing why this has happened to him, wanting to try and ask God why but not wanting to out of respect for God. And understanding that he needs to learn how to endure. God, what do I do? I can't do anything to stop what's happening to me. But somehow tragedy has come to my door. And what do I do, God? And so it's in verse 21. He says, in verse 20, Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head. He remembered repentance, humbled himself before God, fell down on the ground and worshipped. 
and said, Naked, without possession came I into this world from my mother's womb, and naked shall I depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it said, In all this he didn't sin. Now, if it was wrong for him to say that, huh? the Bible would have said he sinned when he said it. See, you've got to watch your faith confession. Um, when you have lost everything, your family, some of the people who were in New York City on September 11th lost everything. When everything that you love is gone and everything that you work for is gone, I dare you to care about your confession. I dare you to care about your confession. You don't care about your confession because right now you need God more than you've ever needed him in the world. Hello? Your confession is when you know something's on the way and you're trying to maintain and you're trying to keep it coming. But when you've lost everything, you need to connect with God the best way you know how. And God understands that. Jesus understands pain. He understands loss. He understands grief. He understands sorrow. He understands all of that. And he knows that when these things hit us, Grief and sorrow and all of those things will take over. And you just have to learn how to write it out the best way you know how to write it out. And maybe you don't say everything right the way the faith people would want you to say it. But it's an expression from your heart where Job is trying more than anything to stay connected to God. He does not want to lose his connection to God. Because if he loses that, he really will be in bad shape. And so here's a man who's crying out from the depths of despair and trying to maintain right relationship with God. He takes time to worship God in the midst of all that. How many people would even care to try and stay connected? But but Job has enough experience, knowledge, and understanding with God to know that he's got to stay connected to God if he's going to make it through all of this. Whether he understands it or not, whether it reverses Quickly or not, he's got to stay connected to God. So it says here in chapter 2, the Satan comes to him again. Once is not enough, folks. Oh, y'all thought y'all was going to have one testing. I'm going through my whole college. They're going to give me one big test at the end, and I'm going to get my papers. You ain't going to get nothing. Huh? In the Christian walk, it's test after test after test after test after test. Huh? Because we're attaining to something. We're attaining to the character of Christ. And God cares very greatly whether or not we attain these things. And he knows that we can do it. Because he is there to help us every single step of the way. He is there to guide us, lead us, empower us, encourage us, strengthen us. Whatever help we need, God is there to do that. What do you call the Holy Spirit? The paraclete, the one who is called alongside of you. Do you know you have somebody walking in you and beside you all the time? He's there to hold you up and lift you up. When I, when I think about the called alongside, I think about those, uh, you know, the marathon runners. 
and how the people on the sidelines sometimes if they get weak and can't go across they'll go right out there with them and help them across the finish well that's what the holy spirit is for us he undergirds us and helps us and lifts us up and so when when we are in the midst of trial we have to remember that the holy spirit is there to help to strengthen you can lean on him he's strong you don't have to get it together for him in order for him to bless you you can just be yourself and god sees you he knows we're just dust and he knows we faking it most of the time huh <laughs> when we got it all together it Please don't blow on this. It'll fall off if y'all blow on it too hard. And so, you know, we have to understand that God knows. Huh? We all just trying to keep it together, child. Come on now. You know, people in the world are spending, saving up all their money for facelifts. They're at least honest. The saints go get them and sneak in somebody and, huh? True that. Under assumed name, come back, face all tight, and they want to swear they ain't had nothing done. I would name names, but we ain't got time. No, I don't know. I don't know any. <laughs> My name might get on that list. <laughs> okay. So there we have Satan accusing Job, and God asked him to consider him. So we have to understand that God does this for our perfection. And for his glory. So God will allow us to be tested. He will allow us to be tested. That's why kids, you know, sometimes children have this school phobia thing. They just don't like school, don't like tests. But tests at least let you know where you are. I mean, they keep you out of deception. If nothing else, you locate yourself. Huh? Do I need to study? Yes, you do. Now we know. You had a test. And so this helps us to locate. Because you want to know what you have in God. You always want to. What the disciples say when they met the guy at the gate beautiful. Such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, and stand up and walk. Now you can't do that if you don't know what you got. And you best not do it if you ain't got nothing. Hello? Have people falling all out of wheelchairs, suing you and all that kind of carrying on. But they knew what they had. Why? They've been tested, honey. And when they got the test, they showed up with the goods and they said, such as we have, we give you. Come on, get up and walk. Huh? You're supposed to be on the front row. What y'all doing back here? It took me a whole, what, 20 minutes to find y'all. I get where <laughs> Get where y'all supposed to be. <laughs> I had to come way back there to the second row. Mess with you. All right. So everything that, that, that Job had materially was put in Satan's power. And he went to God again about Job. Huh? This is it. Continually accusing us before the Father. And he'll accuse you in your own mind. You've got to know how to rebuke him. And set him straight and let your righteousness speak for you. Huh? I don't care if you got a smoking gun in your hand and blood on your socks. Huh? You'd have flunked every forensic test they give you. 
He said, no, devil, I am not guilty. Because three minutes before you showed up, I asked God to forgive me for my fit of temporary insanity. And I stand righteous before God. I may go on death row, but I'll go righteous. I will go. You cannot take my righteousness away from me. Huh? My righteousness is bigger than death row. Huh? Because that's what I have. And so here the enemy accuses Job again, and God allows him to test him further. Uh, I thought when you passed one test, now let me see if I got this right. We get three quizzes and a midterm. No, we can throw in a pop quiz whenever we feel like it. Huh? Hello. Where do you think they came from? They, the teacher stole it from God. This is just a pop quiz right here. Huh? Job thought he was through with the testing. Nah, uh-uh. I know Wednesday night is Moesha night. And on Thursday, I'm giving a pop quiz to see who watched Moesha and who did their homework. Hello. So the Satan comes to God again about Job. He said, ooh, I messed with him something terrible the last time, and he still didn't curse you and die. He said, I want to mess with him again. So God says, okay. He said, just don't take his life. So the devil tested him to within an inch of his life, broke out in boils. And when he didn't recover immediately, then the enemy sent more accusation to accuse him. So some of the things that Job went through in this test of his health, that's what we're talking about, how to maintain righteousness so that you can walk in divine health and receive your healing. Job had to go through the test of hopelessness. And Job 6, verses 8 through 14, he says, Oh, that I might have my request and that God would grant me the thing that I long for. I even wish that I would please, it would please God to crush me and he would let loose his hand and cut me off. So here Job is wanting to die and he confesses it. But that does not take away from his righteousness. Hello? That's an expression of a soul that's in anguish. Huh? Jesus went to the cross and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That wasn't a bad confession. That was like right on time. Because what would you and I say if we were going through the same thing? So here he says, which verse did we leave off at? In verse verse 9, I even wish that it would please him to crush me, his hand would cut me off. Then would I have consolation. Yes, I would leap for joy amid the unsparing pain that I have not concealed or denied the words of the Holy One. What strength have I left? That I should wait and hope. Now he's wanting to die and he's despairing of life. And what is ahead of me that I should be patient? So this man has no expected end. And he's there and he's suffering and he confesses it. He said, what hope do I have for a better future? And he says, 
Is my strength and endurance that of stones, or is my flesh made of bronze? Is it not that I have no help in myself, that wisdom is quite driven from me? Now, wisdom, he's talking about, in the realm of understanding what's going on. Now, you have to understand something about suffering and something about God. God knows when you're done. He knows when you're through. He knows when the enemy has to be satisfied that you've done without long enough. Huh? Isn't that what the test is all about? Will they serve me rich? Will they serve me poor? Will they serve me sick? Will they serve me abandoned? Will they serve me if they have to take care of a sick loved one for years? Will they serve me? You understand what I'm saying? And so God knows when you're through with that test. And only then will God come. The Bible says he knows how to deliver the righteous out of temptation and out of trial. So it's not that God's not going to deliver you, nor that you need to understand, but you need to learn how to accept some things as being part of life. And some things you cannot control, but you must endure. Now, you know, faith faith teaching would make you think, hey, you can have what you say. And you can keep saying it all you want to, but the force of faith isn't behind it. And God doesn't make that thing real enough for you for it to materialize. It won't happen. And it all comes from God's hand anyway. You can't confess it into existence and be glad you don't have that kind of power. Huh? Or your kids would have been barking a long time ago. or Huh? Just true. So it says here, Job, Job experienced hopelessness. He also experienced the accusation of his friends. And I think it starts in, let me see if it starts in chapter 4. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm over in the wrong book. Yeah, in chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we venture to converse with you, will you be offended? Hmm? So these men have sat and watched Job suffer for seven days, and finally one of them decides to speak up. He said, If we venture to converse with you, will you be offended? Hmm? In other words, they're testing the waters. To see if Job's going to just accept what they say or if he's going to rise up in his own defense. Now, this is kind of interesting to me because if Job is a priest, and I firmly believe that he is, I think he is a minister to these people. Because we'll see that the Bible says God turned the captivity of Job when he did what? Prayed for his friends. So he got back on his job. He continued doing his ministry. But if you consider the fact that this man was a minister, and these men have, are men that he has ministered to, think about the fact that here they are, so to speak, with the upper hand, finally, on old Job that think he know everything about God and 
So here you see a little bit of, of usurping authority and rebellion against godly power come into play. How many people have you witnessed to who would love to see you fall flat on your face? Huh? So they can come and rub it in your nose that your God didn't come through for you. Huh? How many times have people turned on, on pastors? One thing I can't understand is these people who will sit under you for years and receive of your word, receive you pray for them. They come, you know, knock on your door in the middle of the night or whatever when they're sick. And then all of a sudden somebody starts a dirty rumor about you and they turn. What happened to all that word that they sowed into your life? Didn't that feed you at one time? Huh? You know, you ever feed a dog? Yeah, you, you can feed you Todd. Remember how when you would feed him, he was very gentle in the way he would take from your hand. He was careful not to bite the hand that fed him. And why is it that people don't have that much sense and that much grace and that much? But we don't. People are quick to be happy to see the mighty fall. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is what was going on with these men. And this is why Job was so, um, I would say, so, so vigorous in his responses to them. Because these are men that more than likely the relationship had been that they waited on Job's word. And they brought offerings to him. And now Job is in need, and instead of them trying to dig into God or say, Job, what can we do to help you? Or, you know, man, we just here for you. I appreciate you hear nothing about what he did for them and how it helped them, which would build him up. Trust me. When you, as a minister, have a hard time, the words of encouragement that come back to you from people that you've sown into can keep you going can build you up not that you depend on it but sometimes it's that cup of cold water that comes at the right time for you but yet we live in a world where people are very glad to see people especially in spiritual authority to see them come down so that then they can tell all that they know about them or they can tell all that they suspected all along and you know i knew they were going to do this because they used to do that and you know what i'm saying And they don't do the spiritual thing. They don't do the right thing. And so here these men are. He says, if I talk to you, will you be offended? Yet who can restrain himself from speaking? In other words, I got a word for you, Job. He says, your words have held, held firm. He says, no, three, behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. He didn't say me. Your words have held firm him who was falling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now, you sick. Hmm? Now it's come on you. In other words, you've always been praying for, you've been telling us how to live, and telling us to tithe, and telling us to come to church on time, and telling us all this stuff, and now you sick. And he says, it's come upon you and you faint and you're grieved. Huh? Now, in other words, what did Paul the Apostle said? He said, I was with you in weakness and trembling. 
He says, I've been a human being in front of you all the time that I've ministered to you. Huh? So there's nothing wrong with a minister. This is why ministers are chosen from among humanity, because we know how you feel. That's why Jesus was wrapped in sinful flesh. Why? So that he could feel how we felt. And he, that's a qualification for a priest. Is somebody, the, the high priest was taken from among men, the Bible says. Why? So that he could know how you feel. So when you see, and see, this is the thing people understand. If your leader is crippled, you in bad shape. Because you can't just rush off and find somebody who will put up with all y'all stuff real quick. You understand what I'm saying? They put you on the back row of a 10,000 member church. Never to be heard from again. Huh? Anonymous ministry. Huh? They don't know you, you don't know them. Huh? So he says, it's your turn. He said, now it's come upon you and you faint and you grieve. Well, what you expect him to do? Huh? See, this is a reality check for people. When the minister gets cut, they bleed. Real blood, just like you do. He says, it touches you and you're troubled and dismayed. Is not your reverent fear of God your confidence and the integrity and upright of your ways your hope? Think earnestly, I beg of you. Who, being innocent, ever perished? Here it goes. You must have sin in your life, Job. Or where are those upright and in right standing with God cut off. In other words, we've been watching you suffer for seven days, and this is what I have for you. Another whack on your head. Hello. He says, as I myself have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble and mischief reap the same. Job, you just reaping what you sow says, by the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. This guy's probably getting ticked off Job's lasted so long. Huh? He's talking about him dying pretty soon. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old and the strong lion perishes for lack of prey. See, this is an indication of some jealousy of Job's position. Where he talks about him being an old lion. He talks about uh, God being able to, to uh, kill and crush that kind of a creature. There's something here that ain't right. It stinketh. He says, now a thing was secretly brought to me and my ear, re- ear received a whisper of it. And thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me and trembling. Now he's trying to tell, tell Job he saw a vision about him. Hello. False prophets will rise up and accuse you when you're going through for God. But see, the Bible says in all this, Job did what? He sinned not against God. He had a lot of wisdom and a lot of courage. Because me, myself, I'd have took whatever crutch I had and cracked that brother. No, excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> I just say, I'm hurting with this hand, but this one's feeling pretty good, right? 
<laughs> Where was I? <laughs> huh? But Job knows his righteousness must be maintained. He has to restrain himself. Job went through self-pity. In, in uh, Job 6, verses 15 and 16, Sorry, Job chapter 6. He says, You, my brethren, have dealt deceitfully as a brook, as the channel of brooks that pass away, which are black and turbid by reason of the ice and in which the snow hides itself. When they get warm, they shrink and disappear. When it is hot, they vanish out of their place. That's not the one I wanted to read. Oh, I'm sorry, it was in verse 11. We read it already. What strength have I left and what should I wait and hope? And what is ahead of me that I should be patient? Now this hopelessness and their self-pity is something that will take the strength away from you if you endure that. Now the thing that Job had to be careful of in expressing himself to these men was that he maintained righteousness and he allowed his conversation and his mind to work so that he wasn't trying to put himself into a bad spot that he couldn't get out of. You know, if you go on and self-pity long enough, huh, you will stay down in a hole. And so it's in the, the more you confess it, you dig a deeper hole for yourself. So you'll see in Job's conversation, he will eventually come up and begin to exalt the Lord at the end of his speaking. He begins to do that and begins to magnify the Lord a little bit more. You know, I I have a lot more respect for him than I initially did because this forced me to look at why this happened to him and what he did that was right because the Bible says he maintained his righteousness throughout the whole thing. Job also had a misunderstanding about God to a degree. In Job chapter 7, starting in verse 1, he said, Is there not an appointed warfare and hard labor to man upon earth, and are not his days like the days of a hireling? As a servant earnestly longs for the shade and the evening shadows, and as the hireling who looks for the reward of his work, so I am allotted months of futile suffering and long nights of misery are appointed to me. Now, he didn't know how long this was going to last. In fact, it's just a week into this trial. And many people seem to feel that this all happened to Job in less than a month. So what's really validated here is these guys came and and looked at him for seven days, and after that they began to converse with him. So God might have turned this around for Job in as little as seven days. And so this is what we have to understand, that even though Job was afflicted, God knew how to move him out of temptation. Verse 4 says, When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise and night be gone? And when I am full of tossing to and fro till the dawning of the day, my flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and has become loathsome, and it closes up and breaks out afresh. Isn't that terrible? He says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. So here, Job misunderstands God to a degree that he's going to leave him like this forever. 
when he really needs to just call on God as his deliverer, and he could probably be uh, speedily delivered out of this. God always wants us delivered from suffering. In verse four, in chapter fourteen, if you'll turn there, verses seven through ten. He says, for there is hope for a tree if it, if it is cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender shoots of it will not cease. But there is no such hope for man. Well, yes, there is, because there is a resurrection. And so you see, the part of Job's problem was that he had to know more about God as not only his redeemer, but the one who could raise him up after the last day. See what I'm saying? So his his relationship with God was early enough that he did not understand the resurrection. He said, though his roots grow old in the earth and stock dies in the ground, yet through the scent and breathing of water, the stump of the tree will bud and bring forth boughs like a young plant. But the man must die and lie prostrate. Yes, the man breathes his last, and where is he? So part of what... God is doing here is testing Job in the inward parts to see what he really does believe about God. See, a lot of times we can believe God when there's no trouble. It's easy to believe him because you really ain't in faith. When there's no trouble, you really walk around just enjoying yourself. And so when when the test comes, then what pours out of you comes out of your innermost being. You can bear your soul in such a way that you are even shocked that you think and say some of the things that you think and say. And so these things are brought out under the pressure of trial and under the pressure of suffering and testing. The other thing that Job experienced was striving with men. These things will happen sometimes on your way to receiving what God has for you. I tell people sometimes, uh, you know, watch ushers. If you have healing meetings and that kind of stuff, make sure people know how to get into your meeting and that they feel welcome. Because the ushers steal more healings than anybody. They get in the flesh and want to tell people you can't sit there and tick them off before they can even get in there. So this striving with man is something that will interfere with your deliverance and with your receiving your healing from the Lord. So in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, turn back there for a second. Then Job answered, no doubt you are the only wise people in the world and wisdom will die with you. Putting them in their place. One thing I can say, if you're in authority, I don't care, parents, moms, dads, teachers, don't ever let your children boss you around and get the upper hand and start telling you how to live and what to do. Whatever you do, you keep that respect and you keep that level of authority because you cannot give that up just because you've got some kind of mistake in your life. Christian parents especially, you sin, let them know you sin, but that's over. Don't let them keep throwing that up in your face because you're not a sinner anymore. Huh? You know, if you're blood bought, if they're blood bought, you're blood bought. You know, sometimes your kids want to always remind you the mistakes that you've made or what you didn't do for them. And Well, (laughs) raise yourself. You don't like the job I'm doing. You always go raise yourself. Uh No, you can't do it. Sit up, stop, shut up, and I'm still your mom, I'm still your daddy, I'll pop you. Uh 
Because you have to maintain, if the authority is gone, then everybody's vulnerable. You know what I'm saying? If, if they don't respect your authority in their lives, then they're not protected and you're not either. Because you have to maintain that protection uh, over them, that authority over them to get God's protection on your life. And they've got to want to let you be under God so that they have the protection that they need. And see, the enemy will try every way he can to pry everybody loose so that he can really have a good time in your life. So don't let him do that to you. He says here, he says, but I have understanding as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these of God's wisdom and might? Am I become one who is a laughing stock to his friends? I, one whom God answered when he called upon him, a just, upright, blameless man laughed to scorn. In the thought of him who is at ease, there is contempt or misfortune, but it is ready for those whose feet slip. So Job is, is having to strive with these men just to maintain his position of righteousness. Because every chance these friends get, They want to tell Job that he has disqualified himself to ever get healed. This is always the issue when you need something from God. Are you qualified and can you easily believe and ask God for it? Or are you out of the ballgame because of something you did? Or more correctly, what you think about what you did. It's important what you think about it. Because if you put it in its proper place, it is under the blood of Jesus. It has been washed from your soul. And you need to act like it. And you need to, and then you can expect others to act like it too. So these men are here to see to it that Job dies and never gets off that bed of affliction. That's what accusation is for. It's to keep you in the place where the enemy has the upper hand so that you can re- never regain your position and your strength anymore. So, okay, you saw him striving with man. In verse 13, though, you see him not let go of his righteousness. In verse 13, verse, chapter 13, verse 1, Behold, my eye has seen all this, my ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. Surely I wish to speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue and reason my case with God. So he says, I don't want to be on this bed forever. I want to say something and talk to God about it so that I can plead with him for my life. He says, <clears throat> I desire to argue and reason my case with God that he may explain and conflict between what I believe of him and what I see of him. But you are forgers of lies. You defame my character most untruthfully. You are all physicians of no value and have no remedy to offer. Oh, that you would altogether hold your peace. Then you would evidence your wisdom and you might pass for wise men. So if y'all would shut up, somebody might think you know something. Hmm? He said here, now, now Job, honey, Job, is he, he hanging in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He maintained his spirit. He's not letting the enemy defile his spirit. And he's going to get around to getting his healing from God. But he's maintaining his place among men. Hmm? What is that? You know sinners got that much sense. <clears throat> do, they, do they show them old Dynasty and Dallas reruns? 
Where they show them at? What night? Uh, look. <laughs> what night? What? Huh? What night? What channel? What night? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. They, they got Family Values Night where they show Dallas and Dynasty. Huh? Where all the ex-wives is beating up on each other. I remember them shows. I used to watch them. But you know what? Blake Carrington lost his fortune like every other week. And what did they do when the money was low? They got out the best diamonds, the best furs, gave a party, charged it all. Huh? They never would let the public know that they were hurting. Huh? And I'm telling you, if you can maintain your righteousness through the accusation of the enemy, you just declare it and decree it whether you're feeling it or not. Because you know it's true before God. Whatever you know to be the truth of God, if you will maintain that and don't let man steal it from you. People who you think are well-meaning but want to keep you in a low level of living and don't care if you die. You ever, this is, this always bugs me about people. When you, you ever see people who are sick especially if they get like over 60 or something, and they get in the hospital, relatives that they ain't seen in 30 years will get a plane ticket and come and sit by the bedside. The saints can't even get up in there for everybody else. I'm thinking, come on, God, where do they get the money from? What are they saving the frequent flyer miles so that they can, just for somebody dying, you know? And they'll come, oh, yeah, you you know Joel, he ready. <laughs> How would you know you ain't? Most of them aren't even saved. And they pulling the plug on old Joe. Huh? Fill the room with doubt and unbelief. Why? Because the devil is very eager to usher you out of here before you get a chance to confess Christ. And see, this is, what, this is why sometimes people will gather around the sick. The people who want to pray for them to get up off the bed, you can barely get them in there. Huh? They're not even on the same grapevine as somebody like, you know, you make a call to somebody who can help and get a voicemail and then the devil erases the voicemail and it's four days before they even know. You know what I'm saying? Email can't get through. It's all frozen up and stuff. And the the people that want to declare them dead and got a plane ticket, they're on the first thing smoking, they're out of there. And the poor preacher gets there. He got he got to offend everybody. Put them out the room, huh? Well, you can't put Amy out. She 82 years old, and she came all the way from Georgia. I don't care if she came from New Orleans on a broom. You get her out of there, and you tell them people, Amy ain't got no business up in there. She ain't got no faith. Y'all want Daddy to live? Amy got to go, huh? My pretty, some old people out of there. See, that's what Jesus did before he could do it. He had to put everybody out. He put them out because they weren't believing and they weren't with him. And this is what Job's detractors did. They came there to watch this man die. And he wasn't going fast enough, so they trying to help him along. Tell me. <laughs> So he went through striving with men. You got to endure this stuff, folks. 
sometimes you wish, well, God, how come people crowd around me when I, uh uh-uh, that's their job. Hello. Why? Because it's going to pull the God out of you. That's what God sees. He sees all of this pulling the God out of you. Job also desired to be free of his affliction, and that's normal. In in Job 10, verse 20, read that. It says, Are not my days few? Cease then and let me alone, that I may take up a little comfort and cheer up. So he's trying to get these men away from him. So that he said, For the days that I have left, just let me be peaceful and let me be comfortable. Leave me alone. Yet he established his righteousness. He begins to establish righteousness more and more. And one thing I noticed about Job is the more that he was afflicted, somehow the stronger he got. The more he fought these guys off, he got more determined. So that in the end, he decided that he was going to live. In chapter 27, verse 1. Job again took up his discourse and said, As God lives, who has taken away my right and denied me justice, and the Almighty who has vexed and embittered my life, as long as my life is still whole within me, and the breath of God is yet in my nostrils, my lips shall not speak untruth, nor my tongue utter deceit. So Job makes up his mind that as long as he has breath in him, He is not going to sin with his mouth. He said, God forbid that I should justify you. Hmm? Saying you are right in your accusations against me. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. So this is all about holding on to your integrity and holding off your righteousness. When the devil comes to accuse you of something, huh? You maintain your righteousness. Don't you ever agree with him. Anything he says about you is a lie. Even if he's telling the truth, it's still a lie. Because of the source it comes from. He says here, My my uprightness and my right standing with God, I will hold fast and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me. For any of my days, and it shall not reproach me as long as I live. In other words, I have a pure heart. I live right before God. In other words, this old boy knows something about God they don't know. See, they're still in grade school trying to accuse him of not being righteous. When God, Job settled that question a long time ago. He said, uh-uh, you can't come at me with that righteousness stuff. He said, I know who I am, and I know what I have. So you can't take that away from me. And so in verse 7, he says, let my enemy be as the wicked and let him who rises up against me be as the unrighteousness, as the unrighteous. So anyway, he put it back on them. He said, anybody who accuses me, let him be just like unrighteous people. Let God deal with him in that way. So Job maintains his righteousness. He begins to exalt the Lord. Chapter 28, you see him begin to talk in more favorable terms about the Lord. In chapter 19, Job says something that tends to turn the conversation to his favor and makes him stronger than he was before. In Job chapter 19, 
he talks to these men, and he starts out asking them, how long are they going to vex him? And how long are they going to get in his face? Verse 3, it says, these ten times you have reproached me, and you're not ashamed that you make yourself strange. And if it were true that I have erred, my error would remain within me. In other words, what your sin is, is not the general public's business. Did God ever tell us to examine one another? He said, examine yourself. huh? Dig yourself. Go look in the mirror. Hmm? And he says, my sin is between me and God. huh? Now, the exception being now is that we're in trouble and you've got a minister over you. You know, they can help you out of trouble, but they need to lead you to repentance, not accusation. See, there's a difference between accusation and ministry. Ministry does not accuse and try to make you, force you to accept something about yourself that God has not put on you. Huh? It does not do that. So when you receive from people, you make sure that there's ministry. And I'll tell you, there's some people God will not allow to minister to you. Huh? And these are people, generally people not on your level, he won't allow, he won't let a sinner minister to you unless you're real bad shape. They won't be obedient enough to give you anything. But if you're in a bar somewhere and you've been backslidden, you might find a sinner that got more sense than you do. It's a thought. Huh? He says in verse 5, If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and plead against my reproach and humiliation, know that God has overthrown and put me in the wrong and has closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not heard. I cry aloud for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness upon my path. Now this is probably true because when God wants to deal with us, he hems us in until he releases us. In verse, drop down to verse 17, I am repulsive to my wife and loathsome to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me when I get up, they speak against me. All the men of my counsel and my familiar friends abhor me. Those who I love are turned against me. My bone clings to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped with the skins or gums of my teeth. Have pity on me. Have pity on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Well, quit begging, Joe, because they ain't going to give you none. I know this bunch already. Why do you, as if you were God, pursue and persecute me? Acting like wild beasts. Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? In other words, the fact that I'm sick, ain't that enough for you? He says, oh, that the words I now speak were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Well, they are, Job. Thank you. That with an iron pen and molten lead they were graven in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that Jesus lives. And I know that he has paid for my sins. Huh? I know that the one who purchased me out of this death is alive. And he is watching and he knows my every move and he my every step. And after this point, this was like the breakthrough or turning point for Job. After this point, things began to turn around for him. He began to speak more favorably about God. He began to speak more highly about God. Until we get down to chapter 30, 38, and that's when God shows up. 
And when God begins to speak, he begins to minister to Job things that he needs to know. He begins to bring Job back. See, the voice of God can bring you back into your right mind. And sometimes only his voice can straighten you out. You know, friends can come and they can minister right things and they can pray for you and they can want to help you. But when everything is confused and everything is muddled and everything is not reasonable for you, then it's only God. And don't get mad at friends when they don't know how to help you. Sometimes God has held it from them. Huh? Remember Elijah and the, the woman, uh, the, the Shunammite woman that had the son that died? She came charging after him. He said, God hid it from me. So if he didn't tell the prophet, I know he won't tell some of our little scary friends. God answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He says, Do this, Job. Job is laying there in sores and boils. Gird up your loins like a man. Huh? In other words, quit listening to these old boys. Quit whining. Quit crying. Quit begging. He said, Get up out that bed and array yourself like a man. The words term, gird your loins, put on strength. And you're not as weak as you think you are, Job. You've still got something in you that I put in you. And the time has come for me to pull it out of you, Job. In other words, this is the last day you're going to be sitting here in these boils and sick like this. Because your Redeemer who lives is here to pull you out and to set you free. He just is. He just is. And so God shows up, and he says, he asks asks him questions like this. Verse 5, who determined the measures of the earth, if you know? Hello? Or who stretched the measuring line upon it? Oh, you mean the earth is measured? Like somebody knows how big it really is? Verse 6, upon what were the foundations of it fastened? You mean the earth is tied down somewhere? He says, yet it tied down, and where is it, if you know? And who laid its cornerstone? He says, when the morning stars sang together, And all the sons of God shouted for joy. In other words, Job, there are some some beings that were around when I created everything, and they got excited and sang together over it. Where were you? Huh? Wasn't even thought of. He says, or, verse 8, who shut up the sea with doors when it broke forth and issued out of the womb? You mean the sea has a womb and it's got doors that shut? I see somebody who's smart, when the tornado hits again, will grab this scripture and run with it. Huh? God closed the doors of the floodgate. You know where they are. You can shut them. He says, and marked it for my appointed boundary and set bounds and doors. And said, this far you shall come and no further. You mean you spoke to some water and it stopped? Huh? So after Job hears this for about ten minutes, it blows his little ever-loving mind. He shuts up. He gets up off his bed. 
And the Bible says in chapter 40, the last one, he says, God, God turned the captivity of Job, 42, verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job and restored his fortune when he prayed for his friends. You mean all Job had to do was get up and pray for them old boys? Yes, ma'am, from day one. All he had to do say, I know y'all here for prayer. Check it out. I don't look like I'm going to be praying for nobody, but just don't pay attention to the boils. I'm getting ready to pray for y'all. Y'all need prayer. That's why God sent you here. huh? That's what turned it around for him. See, I don't care whatever you go through. There is still a spirit in you that can give life to somebody else. I don't care how bad a shape you feel you in, what you done done, what you didn't do, and what you're failing to do now. If you don't let the devil steal your righteousness, that eternal spirit will revive, rekindle, restore, straighten you up, straighten up the situation, straighten up your friends. It will straighten up everything that is not right on the inside of you. And see, Job let what was happening on the outside try and diminish what was on the inside. And once those men saw him lie there long enough, they felt like they could join with Satan and get him. But they didn't get him. Because every time they gave him something, God gave him something to give back to them. And so Job got elevated far above these men when they had to bring gifts and offerings again to Job. And Job got stronger and he got more and he had twice as much as he had before. That shut every mouth that would accuse him ever in life. Amen. And this is what God will do for us. If we'll stand in righteousness, then he will do what he has promised to do for our lives. So why don't we stand now? You stand in righteousness right now. I don't care what you think you, you is standing between you and God. You are righteous in the eyes of God. If there is something that's standing between you and God, you get it straightened out. Tell God you're sorry. Tell him you are believing him. Tell him you want to be free. Tell him you want to be healed. Tell him you want to be delivered because why? You know your Redeemer's alive. And that's all you have to do is stand on the righteousness that he's given to you and know that he's alive and he can do what he says he's going to do. So why don't you start some music back there for me, please? Thank you, Jesus. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. of heaven, feed me till I walk My fill it up and make me whole. How many have that prayer tonight? Fill my cup. Come on, lift it up to him. I lift it up. Come and quench the thirsting of my. Oh, bread of heaven, 
now lift your hands to him and I just want you to just begin if you would give him your personal worship right now begin to kiss his face Let Jesus feel. Let Jesus feel. This place. This place. Let Jesus feel. Let Jesus feel. Let Jesus be this place. Come on, let's say it together. Let Jesus be. Let Jesus be. Let Jesus be. Let Jesus be this place. Oh, Lord. 
Let's stand in his honor tonight, everybody that can get on your feet. To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. To the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we bless him tonight. Everybody lift your hands just for a moment. Come on. Let's lift it up to him right now. To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb.
coming. Come on, clap your hands, all you people. Clap your hands, all you people. Clap your hands, all you people. And shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. So we ought to tell him, yeah, and you ought to tell God, you ought to tell the Lord Jesus, yeah.